welcome to YE1 Spurs. Welcome to two voices which all Spurs fans will be not only familiar with, but will be filled with want to hear. I'll introduce our fantastic guests in a moment, but let me first say hello to the regulars. We've got my son, Casper Wallace. Casper? Hello. For any new listeners, he has not seen us win a trophy in his lifetime. He's 12. Is this a year, Casper? I think we could win a trophy at some point this season. Oh, interesting. Fingers crossed. Good start, hasn't it been? Yes. Um, and welcome back, Simeon. Um, Simeon, how are you, sir? How's talk sport going for you? Yep, very enjoyable. Great to be with you, Ian, today. Uh, very much enjoying it. It's it's a it's a lively place to work, to say the least. And how's your show? Get what show are you on? If you want uh, to plug it. Uh, so I I work on the Jim White and Simon Jordan show. Uh, very very fast moving. A lot of big words, particularly from Jordan and. Yeah, it's a it's a very fast paced thing to to try and keep up with, but I think I'm managing just about all right, just about. Brilliant. Well, we're, we're super proud of you, Sim. You know that. Peter, how are you? How's how's the music going for you? Good. Yeah, I was out in the park trying to come up with uh, a lyric uh, uh, this afternoon. Uh, just walking around trying to come up with an idea. It's a nice way to spend an afternoon. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Nice, lucky uh, you. I'm good. Right, okay. So, listeners, also a pleasure to have to have you with us. We really appreciate your support and feedback as well. As mentioned at the top, we're joined by two of the most recognisable voices as far as fan could hear. We have the club's official commentator, Daniel Wynn. Hi, Daniel. Hi, how are you doing? Good, thank you. And also the voice of White Hart Lane, Pete Abbott. Hi, Pete, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Great to hear that voice. Daniel, Pete, an honour to speak to you both and hopefully hear some of your stories from over 20 years of broadcasting. But if we can, start just by asking you both, when you started supporting Spurs and who's been your favourite player and why over the years? Pete, if I can go to you first, you can sort of tell me why you started supporting Spurs and who's been your favourite player. Uh, I started supporting Spurs because of the 1970 World Cup, which got me interested in football and I watched what I still consider to be the greatest team of all time, that Brazil team that won it. And I then searched around. I mean, a lot of people get led into football clubs by parents or friends. I didn't have any of that. So um, I started searching around for a team that played like Brazil, bizarrely enough. Um, and in the early 70s, there weren't too many of those. So um, Spurs were really the, the closest to it. And that's that's why I'm a Spurs fan now. In terms of my, uh, my favourite player, well, that's easy. Uh, it's Glenn Hoddle all day long. I think he is... Not only the best player I've ever seen at Spurs, but one of the best players I've I've ever seen full stop. Um, and it was a great pleasure to, to to get to know him when he when he became manager and get to talk football with him. He's a fascinating man to speak to, to about football. Yeah, I mean, no, there's a common theme in here. I think me and Pete will agree with you there. We're huge Hoddle fans. He was one of the reasons I supported Spurs. Yeah. All my family's bought West Ham, so luckily uh, Glenn Hoddle saved me from even more <laughs> of a lifetime of hell. Yeah, I probably agree with you. The Peyton is probably the most gifted player to pull on a Spurs shirt, I think. Naturally gifted, you know, uh, 100%. And uh, just going back to the uh, Brazil team, the uh, Carlos Alberto, <laughs> the World Cup final goal. 
The perfect goal. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Amazing goal and an amazing team. If you look, yeah. I mean, you had him, you had um, Jozinho, you had um, Jesson, you had. Um, it was uh, this bloke called Pele as well, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, and, 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 and on him. top of all those world class players, you had Pele. Yeah. It was arguably the best of all time. So it really was. I mean, that was for for, for an eight year old kid watching watching football to to be able to watch something like that was just amazing. It's the first one in color as well, so. You know, you, yeah. you see those yellow shirts, can't you? You know, great. Yeah, I was captivated. First, first World Cup winner in colour. Seems like a lifetime away, doesn't it, for a 12-year-old? Uh, Daniel, what about yourself? When, when did you start the sporting Spurs and why? And who's been your favourite player over the period? It was my dad that gave me the illness. Um, he, oh, My dad was from Belgium and he settled when he came to England um, just up the road from the Spurs ground. So he started going um, when he was sort of 14, 15. And he, he was going, at, you know, literally right up, right up until the end for him. He was home and away. He was all over Europe. So I started going when I was five years old. I've had a season ticket ever since. I do keep on my season ticket, even though I still work there, just in case it all ends one day and I don't lose my loyalty points and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's interesting that Pete said about being an eight-year-old kid watching the 1970 World Cup. Um, I was almost eight when I watched the 78 World Cup. And for me, the greatest player that I've seen at Tottenham allowed Glenn Hoddle to be the player that he was. And that's Ozzy Ardiles. Undoubtedly, Glenn Hoddle was one of the best players Spurs have had. But for me, Ardiles allowed Hoddle to play. He, he had the time on the ball. He gave Glenn that space. And he allowed Glenn to, to do what he did so well. So for me, it's Ozzy Ardiles. I knew somebody who was on the fringes. I knew somebody who was on the fringes, uh, or somebody who knew somebody who was on the fringes at Spurs, and he said he came on into a midfield consisting of um, Perryman, Hoddle, and Ardiles. <laughs> and he said, but by far the best player he ever played with was Ardiles. He would just wait, wait the ball, yeah. so you, you didn't even have to break stride. He's a magnificent, right. pl magnificent player. He was so strong for a little fella as well. And, you know, to put that into context, if you look at a very skillful player who would have gone on in normal times to, to win 50 caps for England, Mickey Hazard, really struggled to get into that team because of Hoddle and Ardiles. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. He was a wonderful player, Hazard, as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Guys, that's that's uh, really really interesting. Um, and uh, this, I just want to go obviously just talk about this season so far. It's been quite a unique season. And I'll start with you, Pete. Reading the teams and announcing goals at an empty uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. How's how's that been? It's been very weird. I'm not. I'm still not entirely sure what what they want me for. To be honest, <laughs> I don't know. I'm really doing it for. But um, it is very weird. The whole the whole when you watch games on TV. It doesn't really come across like this, but you can tell the pace of the ball that's, that's, that's being played by the sound that it makes in the stadium. And obviously, you know, when there's 60,000 people in there, you don't hear that at all. But it's such an odd, it's such an odd feeling being in a, in a Premier League ground with a Premier League game going on and no one there. Or, you know, a, a, a couple of, sort of hundred sort of backroom staff. And um, you, you notice... You notice the well. You notice on one hand, you notice the silence, but on the other hand, you you notice the abuse that particularly the fourth <laughs> official is getting. Um, <laughs> he's standing right in front of both benches, so 
so he's getting it from both directions and you really can you can hear everything that's going on even though where i am is quite a, quite a way away from that you can still hear it all and it, it, it is quite funny on occasions but it, it, it just the whole thing is very eerie it's a it's a strange situation i, I tell you what Pete. it's you, know, you said that you don't really know what they are sort of quite half joking i imagine you, they don't you don't really know why they want you there but as a viewer watching on tv and watching the games the home games it's really <laughs> quite nice to hear your voice and just have that feeling of normality because it's you know there is the massive gaping you know absence of the of the fans but actually hearing yourself does make it you know slightly more normal so to me, that's well, that, your, that, that, that's the value of you being there. <laughs> if you were looking for that's, it, that's nice to hear. And thank you very much for, for, for saying that. I, I, I appreciate that. It's interesting, though. I mean, if you go back to the, the sort of back end of last season when we played Arsenal, um, Toby Alderweireld scores the winning goal. What a couple of minutes from time. Now, with sixty thousand people in the in the stadium, I would have announced that with full beans. I would have gone really gone for it mm. because you know it's, it, 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 that's part of the job. But when there's no one in the stadium. There's no point because you're not going to get a reaction from the crowd because there isn't one. And so it, it, it does mean you have to do things a, a, a little bit different. But I, I, I appreciate those sentiments. I want to echo that Pete, because, I mean, just, just to hear your voice when they're coming out at home, just it sort of makes it feel a little bit more normal. So, uh, yeah, so great, great job. So hopefully most Spurs fans are thinking that. Um, Daniel, what, what, what about yourself? I mean, obviously, you're, I don't know, did you do the West Brom game from the Hawthorns or what? what, what no, what so, you? no, so I'm not commentating at the moment. So I stopped Spurs TV about two seasons ago now. I'm doing a different commentary service, which hasn't been happening um, during lockdown. So uh, unlike everybody else, I'm watching it without sound. Uh, sorry, without the crowd effects, I should say, sorry. Um, I just love hearing, as Pete said, the noises from the players, the abuse they're all getting, and then the commentators apologising to any profanities you may or may not have heard. Um, but it's interesting how, how Pete said about giving the Alderweireld goal with gusto. The very first game on lockdown was at Aston Villa against, I think Sheffield United, I think it was. Rob Hawthorne was commentating, a very good commentator for Sky. And as they were attacking, his voice was getting louder and louder. And with the empty crowd, so empty ground, it just didn't work. He sounded utterly ridiculous. And to this day, I just cannot believe games are going on without supporters in there. It's you know, when, when a goal is scored not in normal times, the first thing the directors do is cut to the crowd celebrating and it's so abhorrent to have a game without fans. Football without fans is nothing. And, yeah, it's, it's just horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering about the language. Is it quite industrial? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's, 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 no, there's little holding back, let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> is it quite industrial between the players on the pitch or is it just everywhere? Is it against each other, like the calling each other out or...? Well, you, 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 no, you can't really hear that. I mean, you can hear, you know, sort of directions from players on the pitch sometimes. Um, but it's mainly from the stands because they're all, they're all sort of behind the, the, the home and away benches. Everyone who's in the, in the stadium is pretty much in that position. So it's all coming from, from one area and you can hear it quite clearly. I mean, if, if there's a contentious decision or there's a, there's a foul that that's not, that, that's not given, the whole, the whole place is, is, is in uproar. And it is actually quite funny. I mean, <laughs> because it's not something you get to see 
in a normal game. It's, you know, we, you're only seeing it because there aren't any fans there. Pete, sorry, if I can ask you a question. When you were at Wembley, you were, you know, your position was behind the dugouts, right? Yeah. Yep. Can, you, can you hear more now when it's empty? Oh, yeah. You're sitting directly behind it in a full Wembley? Yeah, you can hear far more now. That's really interesting, actually. It is, yeah. I mean, because as, as you say, I mean, I was right, almost right behind the dugouts, probably six foot away. And I don't remember hearing any anything coming from the dugouts at all at Wembley. Um, but but now, I mean, I, you, you couldn't put me in that position now because <laughs> I'd have to have the bleep button on all the time. <laughs> um, Daniel, what, what is the service you're working on? Obviously, you said it's not going at the moment. But if you want to give it a, a plug, that'll be uh, quite good. Obviously, sure. You can have a listen as well. That'd be great. So there's a number of visually impaired supporters, you know, blind supporters that come to football. They can hear the crowd. They love the atmosphere. The one thing they can't do, obviously, is see the game. So um, Tottenham and a number of other clubs have started doing an audio descriptive commentary. So mm. myself and a guy called Gareth Dace, who's, <laughs> who's a font of all knowledge. He's unbelievable when you see him in action. I know Pete's laughing there. Um, I'll come back to that in a minute. But um, So we describe the action, basically. So the things that we take for granted, you and I, that we can see, the small things like Hugo Lloris is wearing an all-yellow kit, for instance, or how many players are wearing gloves, which is a real bugbear of mine. And just the small things, as well as the action, just the stuff that we can see, that we take for granted. Like even where we're sitting in the stadium, the players going from right to left, you know, the crowd reactions, all of that kind of stuff. That's what we're doing. And, um, yeah, it's very rewarding. And the feedback that we get, it just it's, it's so good to hear that people really you know have their match day experience enhanced by what we do and uh, yeah and what and what and what is that is there a, is there a website that we someone can go to no uh well um on a normal day the uh, visually impaired fans will get like a headset so uh, they will switch it on and uh, they'll be able to tune into us so um, you know hopefully something may be happening quietly um to repeat that and, and, and get that going again now. I know Manchester City have just started doing it for the Champions League games um, via Microsoft Teams. They're actually dialing in and the commentators are inside the ground. So hopefully Spurs can get that up and running. But, oh, yeah, brilliant. That, that sounds fantastic. That sounds great. really good. Yeah. Um, Daniel, we a first question from Casper, uh, if we can direct it at you. Casper, uh, yeah. you ask Daniel a question? Um, what is your favourite goal that you've ever commentated on? Oh, it's been so many. Um, it's a great, it's a very, so there's a number that stand out. I mean, the very first one, uh, people remember this as well. I mean, Pete's been around a lot, a lot longer than I have. That's why he looks like that. Um, <laughs> the very first goal that I did on Spurs TV was the 10,000th Premier League goal. Les Ferdinand scored it mm. against Fulham back in December 2001, I think it was. And the first goal that day was going to be the 10,000th goal. And with all the noise in the stadium, I just about heard my producer say that that's, that's the 10,000th goal. So I went with that. Um, the goal that um, Van der Vaart got against um, Milan when they were European champions, that you know, to go 1-0 up. Ooh, yeah. I remember saying, Spurs now lead the European champions. Um, Freddie Canute scored a fantastic volley against Everton in about 2004. That was a wonderful goal. And obviously any goal that beats Arsenal is um, worth celebrating. And times like that, the fan in me comes out. And um, yeah, but there's been, thankfully there's been a number of fantastic goals. Daniel, I, I always remember. I always remember your commentary on the Danny Rose. I mean, you mentioned goals against Arsenal, but the Danny Rose goal against Arsenal 
I think that was one of your one of your classics for sure. <laughs> Iconic. It, that, that, that was a really really bad day for me. I got made redundant from my day job. Oh really? And I, le- I left my work and went straight to the ground. So I was feeling pretty down actually. And like mm. ten minutes in or whatever, Danny came out with that fantastic volley. But yeah. And, and it's a ref- commentary is a reflex. You can't prepare for it. I mean, mm. I know Pete's done some commentary down the years as well, and it is just a reflex. You cannot prepare for it. I mean, obviously, you know that Harry Kane's on 199 Spurs goals, so you know that his next goal, so you can get that sort of thing ready. But generally, you're just reacting to what you see in front of you. And that, you know, I remember laughing. You know, <laughs> Danny Rose, what a way, you know, to mark your Spurs debut. You know, th- there was a snigger in there because you know. That that's how it came out. It's a fantastic body against Arsenal as well on his Premier League debut. Brilliant. How about the four-four was... draw with Chelsea? Uh, did you do that one? The four-all with Chelsea. Oh, what the yeah. Robbie Keane equaliser yeah. right at the end? Yeah, it's just like an incredible. The one at White Hart Lane. Yeah, the, that was yeah, really yeah. Incredible yeah I, d- I did do that, and just after Robbie equalised, I think Dimitar Berbatov missed an absolute sitter. Yeah. He was through on yeah. goal. And, uh, that. that would have raised the roof. It would have saved the building costs, that's for sure. But, um, yeah. <laughs> just, just, yeah. Just guys, on uh, you mentioned about raising the roof. Um, how did you? We, we had Theo Delaney on um, the podcast uh, a little while yeah. back. Obviously, produced the finale. Yeah. Um, how, how did you guys feel on that day? Because it must have been quite an emotional day for both of you guys. Pete, if I can go with you first. Yeah, it was emotional. There's no question. Um, it, it is now, actually, even when I think of the old ground now, it's, um, it, it still sort of brings the tears to the eye. Um, I think we knew it was coming. So, I mean, it, you know, so you had you had a lot of time to prepare yourself for it. Um, but I remember the next day seeing because they started demolishing it the very next day and they, they put pictures on the on the website with half of it just you know, completely collapsed. Mm. Um, and that was that was really sad seeing that. Um, but it's White Hart Lane changed so much since I, I mean I first started going in the early seventies. Mm. So you know there were terraces behind both goals. There wasn't you know the, the east stand and the west stand were, were in fact, all four stands were completely mm-hmm. different. So it's you know it's not as if it was a it, it, it was always a sort of moving feast really. It, it was it was ever changing. So maybe that sort of um, made it a bit more palatable but it was it was a very sad occasion there's no there's no question of that although i mean the, the, that final game and and the the parade of um of players afterwards was a just a magnificent occasion even even though it was pouring with rain and it was and the, uh, rain, it, at the end and the rainbow at the end yeah, exactly it, yeah that it, was that was perfect that was the perfect end wasn't it quite an invidious position for yourself and paul coit trying to get that Drove the people off of the pitch. That was, you know, quite, quite, quite an yeah. effort on quite a joint effort. Your part. Any notice of me at all? You need a big white horse or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Daniel, how did you feel that day? Uh, the same as Pete. It, it was just so emotional. And again, he hit, he hit the he hit the nail on the head. That you know, just get emotional thinking about it now. And I remember thinking. So this is it. This is the last game. We were going for the unbeaten home record as well, you know, for the whole season. And I wanted the last sentence to somehow capture Tottenham Hotspur, capture the past and capture the future as well. And what could I say? And I was driving myself mad, honestly, for months and months. And then I had nothing written down. I had nothing prepared. And I thought, right, past, now and future. And after the final whistle when you do about 90 seconds wrapping up and I said, and this is it. 
Glory, glory, Tottenham Hotspur, and the Spurs go marching on. And as I said on, I finished, and the tears just came. So, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm welling up now just thinking about it. But that was the only sentence spontaneously that I could think of that got the glory of the past and moving on to the future. And it was, you know, and it's our sentence. It just, I couldn't have planned it. It just happened. Yeah, I mean, it was a wonderful day. I remember all, all my family were laughing at me. I was crying on the sofa. Like, uh, but, you know, it's emotional. You spend so much time in the, in the stadium, don't you, going there quite a lot as a youngster. Yeah. Pete, I'm sure you, you're Peter, yeah. I'm sure you agree, don't you? Yeah, 1970, 71 was my first uh, time at the lane. And uh, I don't know, Pete might remember this, the hooped, white hooped fencing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. do you remember yeah. those? They were like little loops. And that was, I, I just remember watching... People like Georgie Best, Charlton, Alan Ball, uh, like in the early 70s. Just uh, so my, you know, it's, it's like a love affair that started there for me, you know. To see it all be torn down, you know, it's very emotional, like, you know. Yeah. Then my next thought was, uh, what memorabilia can I nick? <laughs> <laughs> what did you get? You and everyone else. I shouldn't even say this, actually. I took my microphone, you know, oh. that's all that I took, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, Pete, can can I ask you a question? Obviously, been a stadium announcer for uh, quite a long period of time. Have you have you ever made like a really bad faux pas of someone's name, like while while <laughs> Honestly, announcing live? Two words for you, real fox. Um, this is Daniel knows this story. Um, I think it might have been my first ever season doing it. Um, Stephen Carr scored, I think it was his first ever Spurs goal against Man United. It was an absolute screamer from about 35 yards. And I just looked down, because I, I, I'd seen him pick the ball up on the halfway line and it didn't look you know, as though it was any danger. So I'd look down at my script to see what I was doing next and all of a sudden I hear the roar go up and the ball's in the back of the net and I've no idea how it's got there. And it Back then, when there was no monitors. Now you've got a bank full of monitors, so you can see who scored. But back then, you didn't. So it looked to me as though everybody was was running to congratulate Raw Fox. So <laughs> go with that. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Brilliant. They they show that goal on the big screens a lot, and if you listen really carefully, you can hear me in the background saying, "First goal for Spurs, number seven, Raw Fox." <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. That was that one. And that was probably the worst. Although the other really bad one was um, Fernando Lorente. Actually, before he joined us, when he was still at Swansea, I, I spent an entire afternoon calling him Fernando Morientes. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Easily done. And uh, I got one or two very um, but to be fair, interesting phone calls to be from fair, uh, could, the club could, after that. It could uh, it could have been a lot worse, I suppose. Uh, you know, you could have uh, pronounced the name of a swear word, I suppose. Well, at least it wasn't our player at the time. <laughs> that would have been worse. Yeah, has there ever been a player who you've really struggled to get your mouth around? His, you know, his oh. uh, his name. And, well, and to you, Daniel, well after. There's one that springs to mind, and I'm going to struggle with it now. Jeremy Ali Aliadier. Oh, <laughs> there's there's too many there's too many syllables in that. Um, for for my tongue to, to be able to deal with, yeah. and I always struggled with it. And when he um, certainly when he was at Middlesbrough, I used to look at look at the team sheet and just pray that he wasn't playing on the bench, <laughs> so I wouldn't have to read his name out. Unfortunately, he always was. And you know it's coming. You know you're reading down the team sheet, and you know his name's coming, and you're getting more and more nervous. <laughs> and of course, that makes you mess it up completely. 
Um, yeah, he was the worst. I mean, there's foreign names you can you can you can guess at them for the most part, and nobody's going to know you're you're wrong. Um, but um, yeah, Jeremy. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, See, but, but what about reading out the name Sol Campbell for Arsenal and also for Daniel for you know commentating on Spurs games against Arsenal when you know Campbell hadn't made that switch? I mean, let's start with you, Pete. Like, were you, were you tempted to spit when you were <laughs> when you were reading his name out? No, you've just got to do it. You've got to play <sighs> it with a straight hat. Unfortunately, you've just got to you've just got to read read the name out and and let the crowd react to it yeah um, true. you know you can't you can't be making you, you can't be making any comments you can't read his name out in a, <laughs> in a different way to the way you would read anybody else's name out um so you just play it with a, with a straight bat and um i remember that first time he came back as an arsenal player that was oh i went to that game fired up i think i ever saw that stadium um and not in a good way either it's you've got to say but yeah, you. It, from my point of view, I mean, it, 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 you know, it, it's different. It's different, maybe when you when you're doing a commentary. But from my point of view, you just you've just got to do it absolutely as straight as possible. Yeah. Mm. Da- Daniel, by yourself, if you struggle yeah. with any pronunciations of players, um, one or two. Um, <laughs> Manchester United had a goalkeeper about 15 years ago who was always second or third choice, and on the Manchester United website. All they said about him was his name is 100 points in Scrabble, which was quite fun. <laughs> 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 I can't remember who it was. Um, you, you tend not to struggle, but what always irritates me is Pete always gets asked, so what's it like when you've got to read out the European team's names? You said, well, do it twice unless the player scores or gets substituted. We had to do it all night. And yet nobody asks us as commentators that. But um, no, there wasn't anybody that I really struggled with. I mean, sometimes, you know, especially when you sit quite a long way away um, or quite high up, it's incredible ha- um, how many players actually look alike from a distance. Not I mean, more Fox than Stephen Carr, though, no? Yeah, that, <laughs> that's a bit of a no-brainer, to be honest. But, I mean, look at look at Harry Winks and um, Regulon. You know, they look very similar. Um, yeah. And there's a couple that, you know, down the years have been like that as well. And, um, yeah, it's... You just get used to it. End of the day, people say, how do you know who's who? Well, the Spurs players you know anyway. And there's only 11. You know who's the right-back. So, chances are, if the ball's in the right-back position, it's going to be him, right? So... You know, one's the goalkeeper, so you've only got ten to think about, and you, you just get used to it. Yeah. Um, Sim, have you got another question to ask? Before I ask Casper to do another one. Uh, yeah, one for Daniel. Just in terms of you know commentating on different types of games, I I always got the feeling, and this might just be totally based off of nothing, but I always got the feeling from you know my dad buying me the season reviews every year and watching watching them normally over Christmas time, but you would get to the European games and you seem to have a bit of a warmth, particular warmth for Jermaine Defoe. And I was wondering if there was any truth in that. Just if, as is, is he one of sort of your favourite players of the I, modern he time? Was great. Yeah, he was a great player for us. Mm. Um, obviously, at the time, he was the uh, leading scorer in Europe. He, over, he, yeah. he uh, overtook Martin Chivers with that penalty that he scored that night. Um, you know, European nights at White Hart Lane, you know, they are special. They will always be special. The, the floodlights... All in white, etc., etc. You know, there's a magic about it. And when and when Jermaine Defoe had the ball and you know he was running at goal, the the crowd came alive, and you can sense that. And that goes back to what Pete said earlier on. Now the crowd's uh, the ground is empty. You don't get that buzz of expectation and excitement. I wouldn't have thought when a certain player gets the ball, like Gareth Bale. 
you know, when he came on against West Ham, if that was a full house, can you imagine the noise? Yeah. It would have been immense. But, you know, so, yeah, the European nights were definitely special and Jermaine Defoe was a very special player for us at that time, definitely. Sorry, Peter, go on. No, I was just thinking about the winning goal against Brighton as well. You know, imagine that, you know, how that would have been. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, sorry, Casper. Casper, you got a question yeah. for... Oh, sorry, go on, please, go on. No, it's over to Casper. Sorry. Oh, go on, Casper. And, like, is it difficult, like, not being biased when commentating on the team you love? <laughs> um, no, I think, as, as Pete said as well before, you, you, you just get on with it. I mean, people agree with this as well. We get a different match day experience to, to our friends that are Spurs fans. Like, I phone my friends in the car on the way home and they say, oh, did you see that? Did you see this? And actually, no, that's not what happened. You know, the referee got it absolutely spot on. You're wrong in what you're saying. You are a little bit removed um, from the bias and the partisan approach that your friends get. You're still a Spurs fan and you're still wanting the team to win and that sometimes comes out. But um, no, you can't get biased. I mean, I, because it's a Spurs production, I was always able to say we or us. Um, but that's about it. I mean, I had to commentate when Arsenal won the league at our place. I mean, that, that wasn't much fun. But oh. you've, just got, you've just got to do it, as Pete, as Pete said. Oh, that must be really, really tough. Yeah. Really <laughs> tough. Uh, uh, Pete, can I ask you a question about um, like a long, long time ago? I, I sort of were doing some research on yourself, not stalking you, but doing some research about how you used to edit Spurs line. And used to be the voice on Spurs line. And I remember for me, as a youngster, always trying to go to games, listening to the ticket info. You were like a real huge part of like, you know, my, my youth listening to the ticket information. Well, that's nice to know. Yeah, that's how I started. That's how I, I, um, I started at Spurs via club call. Um, and I did that for 11 years, going home and away, following the team, you know, doing interviews down at the training ground and, and yeah, putting the whole thing together and editing it. So that's how I started. I, I remember my, my first ever day, actually, at Spurs. I was sitting, I had, a, I had a meeting with, first thing in the morning, with Mike Rollo, who was the commercial manager at the time, and, and effectively my sort of boss. And I was sitting in the reception at White Hart Lane waiting for him, and, and Bill, Nick, Bill Nicholson came in and sat opposite me and started chatting. Wow. This is my first day wow. at Spurs. And I remember, in, I mean, I was sort of open mouth. I don't remember much of what he says because I, I was just way too starstruck. But I do remember him talking about Darren Anderson, who we just signed at that point, and, and him saying what a good player he thought he was. But imagine that. I mean, you've got your first day in the job, and the first person you actually talk to at the ground is Bill Nicholson at the top. Yeah, um, and that was, I mean, that's, that is really the perfect start. And it's, 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 it's never got gone down from there really i i still love doing what i what i do um and I'm, I'm i'm very proud to have to have done it for as long as i've i've done it but yeah the spurs line was 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 fun i mean people i was talking to my niece about this the other day she's 15 and she has no concept of a world without the internet so so when you when you point out that this was a telephone service before the days of the internet she yeah. just thought i was make, make, making it up <laughs> yeah. Just, 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 just for listeners who just, just for listeners who possibly don't under the younger ones, Casper being one of them as well. There used to be a telephone line where you used to phone up, and there used to be interviews on the telephone line, and also um, ticket information. That's the only way you'd get sort of up to date information. 
So it look, looking back, it was it was just invaluable. And, and sometimes you might sort of have the information on there, Pete. And sometimes it might what how up to date it was. You especially if there was like tickets waiting for a semi final or something like that. You'd be on the phone like every half an hour to see if there's any left or something like that. It was such a key point, wasn't it? Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear it was. I mean, I, it, it, you know, you don't usually get a lot, a, a huge amount of feedback with these things. Um, so you, you never really know. I mean, you, you, you get an idea of, of, of how many people have called the, the line, but you don't really know whether it's been a useful service or not. So, you know, to hear people like, like you who obviously used it back in the day and found it useful, that's, that, that's, um, it's, it's nice to know. Bring it back. <laughs> mm, yeah, bring it back. Let, let's, let's get back to basics, should we? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, Pete, Pete, from one very useful piece of technology there, which you've obviously, you know, been a bit of an innovator with, and, you know, people actually used and got something out of it. Another piece of technology which is, you know, not quite going to plan right now, it's fair to say, is VAR. And I think you, me- you mentioned with Royal Fox earlier, um, getting slightly caught out there. I imagine you've probably been caught out by VAR one or two times since that came in. Um, I don't think I have actually, but I mean, I, I think it's particularly with, with no with no fans in the stadium. It's, mm. That VAR situation is far easier mm. because I mean, if, if you know, if, if there's sixty thousand people in the stadium and Spurs score, obviously there's a a, a huge noise, and then. If a VAR, if a VAR decision has gone against Spurs, that noise, you know, everybody's brought brought back down to earth again. Mm. So, with, with no fans in the stadium, that that does make a bit of a difference. But it really now you can't you can't announce a goal um, until the VAR decision has been made. Even a goal where you don't think there is a a, a VAR, VAR decision to be made, they are still looking at it, mm. and you do get in in your ear. Yeah, VAR says all clear. You can now announce the goal. Um, so from that point of view, it actually makes it a, a, a sort of a, a little bit easier. But it does take it takes the joy out of it. I think. I mean, you you can't as a football fan, you can't celebrate a goal because you don't know if it's going to stand. It's such a shame. Uh, what about but, as a commentator, yeah. Daniel? Is that is that difficult for you being a commentator in the VAR? Are you, do you sometimes hold a little bit back and say a last-minute goal, or do you just sort of just have to go with it at, at that point? No, as I said before, it's a reflex, and you and you do just go with it. Um, you know what's frustrating? I mean, look at the Arsenal Aston Villa game the other day. Villa scored in the first minute, and for three minutes forty-five seconds, they were looking at VAR. Right, so you, for the first five minutes of the game, you've had one minute of football, four minutes of VAR. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there was one game right early on when it was the first season when we had it for the FA Cup and we were at Wembley. I actually had the VAR in my ear. I couldn't hear what the referee was saying, just what the, the um, VAR guy in Stockley Park was, was saying. And it was fascinating to listen to. And again, as Pete said, every single goal was analysed, whether it was a 40-yarder with you know, everyone behind the ball or whether it was a juvie. Everything, everything was reviewed and analysed. And... Um, yeah, it's and and, and, Dan, and Daniel, that's really interesting you say that because um, you know, I'm quite a big rugby fan as well. Like, and I, I think some of the communication between the referee and the, um, the equivalent of their VAR, uh, you can actually hear that in the ground or on the TV. Do you, so it must have been really interesting for you to hear their sort of decision making process or their thoughts. Yeah, I mean, and decision making process. I'm a firm supporter in the fact of referees being mic'd up. You know, there was that. There was that experiment years ago when David Ellery was mic'd up for Arsenal Wimbledon, uh, Arsenal um, York, 
and you know, he was called yeah. a cheat by Tony Adams. I firmly believe that if referees were mic'd up, you wouldn't get half the swearing and the abuse that they suffer because everybody would hear it. And you know, the, the heroes, the idols, wouldn't want to be seen or heard swearing at officials. Um, so I think that should happen. But just on VAR, the system isn't wrong. There's nothing wrong with VAR. It's just how it's used. You know, the, t- the technology is there to be used and interpreted. Interpreted? Um, and it's just not being used properly. And, you know, to me, if after 30 seconds you can't see whether it's offside or not, give the goal. People want to see goals in football. If it takes three minutes and 45 seconds like the Aston Villa goal the other day, forget who it's against. It's wrong on every level. You can't hold the game up for three and a half minutes. It's and how, how, how do you react to that, Daniel, when you're in commentary and that sort of happens? You, how do you think you would have reacted, say, if you were commentating on the Newcastle game and you know, the Eric Dyer one? Do you, do you, you must have been, do, you know, if you were commenting on that, how do you think you would have been? Again, you just say it as you see it. And, you know, if, if, if there's a decision that's given and you, don't think it's a deci- and you don't think it's the right decision, you would say it, especially for the visually impaired fans, because they don't know what's going on. So, and again, if, if it was Spurs TV, you have to say it, just yeah. how it's coming out. And, you know, we have replays and we can say that that replay showed that it was onside, it was offside, it was handball, it wasn't handball, whatever it is. But it... Yeah, it, it's killing the game. I, I firmly believe and agree that officials need assistance, and they need and they need to have a clear cut opportunity to give the correct decision. You know, the goal line technology is instant. Right, apart from the, that first came back when um, you know the the uh, machinery wasn't working. But the goal line technology, it's either a goal or it isn't a goal. The referee looks at his watch, he gets a signal, job done. Yeah. And it needs to be something as quick as that, not yeah. three and a half, four minutes waiting. That's wrong. And again, Pete said, you can't celebrate a goal. Remember Spurs Sheffield United last season? Sheffield United scored what I thought was a very good goal. It was To me, it, it was onside. Newly promoted, playing at Tottenham Hotspur, recently Champions League finalists. And the Sheffield United fans didn't know whether they could celebrate a goal or not when, yeah. as I said, just in the Premier League for the first time in God knows how long, Champions League finalists, the opposition, they scored a goal, they couldn't celebrate. It's madness. Yeah, it's a bit of madness. Um, Pete, can I, can I ask you a question about who, who's been your favourite um, manager you've dealt with? Probably Glenn Hoddle, I would say, um, simply because I just found him a, a fascinating character and a and an amazing guy to talk football with. He's, he, he looks at the game in a completely different way to anyone I've ever met. Um, he talks about, all the time, he talks about games within games. And he's looking, mm. you know, when, when I'm looking at a game of football, I'm looking at one game. When he's looking at a game of football, he's looking at five or six games. He's looking at five you know, or six sort of individual battles within that game. Um, and it's it's a it's it's a it's a fascinating way to to look at the game, and and it, it actually explains to an ex- extent at least why he was the player he was, um, because he just looks at the game completely different to anyone. I mean, you know, um, people like Ozzy, I, I, I knew quite well. Um, Jerry Francis was a was a a, a very bright football man. David Pleat, I've, I've never met anyone who knows more about football than David Pleat. But talking to Glenn about the game was just completely different and, and was an absolute fascination. Um, and he was also just such a nice guy as well. 
Um, Aussie, I got on very well with. Christian Gross, actually, I liked very much as a, as a oh, person. Wow. And um, I thought he was really unlucky. If you remember, he, he wanted his, um, his assistant to come with him. Yeah. Um, his assistant didn't get, for some reason, didn't get a work permit, so couldn't come. Um, and I think that affected him hugely, actually, because after that, after he left Spurs, he went on and did a few things. I think he knocked Manchester United out of the Champions League once, didn't he? He went um, to Grasshoppers, didn't he, after, I think? Yeah. So, and he was, he was an interesting guy. And he was the one who, who, who sort of turned the culture around um, at Spurs. I can remember Neil Ruddock in the early days that I was there. After a game, he, and I, I saw this more than once, coming out with a tray of beers. There must have been 30 beers on this massive tray. And that was for, 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 the, other, for the other players for, for, for the evening. Um, and Christian Gross came in and, and, and changed that around completely. Brought in a, a dietitian, brought in a... Um, a, a sort of physio sort of strengthening, muscle strengthening guy um, who was very good. And a lot of the players actually, I think, benefited um, from that. Darren Anderson was certainly one of them. Darren Anderson had a lot of injuries before Christian Gross got really? to Spurs. You look at his injury record after that, it was a different different situation altogether. Um, you, you say that, B. We, we had Steve Slade. Um, I don't remember Steve Slade on the podcast sure. um, during the summer. And he was sort of saying about how the diet suddenly sort of changed um, around at that sort of time. And, uh, yeah, he said it was a, it was a strange thing um, at that time. He, he was getting lifts into uh, training with Ruddock. So, obviously, I don't think he had a good mentor at that sort of time. What, what, what do you sort of remember about uh, Steve and Dan, Dan, Dan? What do you sort of remember about Steve Slade? I do remember him being sort of tall and lanky and particularly fast. Um, yeah, you know, didn't play that many games for us, but you know, he was always there or thereabouts. And it's, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating podcast, Daniel. Uh, we've uh, not not plugging our work, but he's a fascinating guy. Who's, uh, he, I'll, I'll send it through to you. He really did, no, didn't, didn't no. hold back. No, of course. I, I mean, I, I remember him actually. I mean, I, I used to talk to him quite a bit, and he. Um, he is an, he's an interesting character. Um, I, I, I thought his decision to leave Spurs was the wrong one. I think he was. Um, I think he went to QPR, didn't he? But he, he, yeah. Um, yeah. he was just on the verge, I think, of doing something at Spurs, and I think that move was a backwards one for him. I don't know who advised him to do that, but um, I didn't at the time. I remember thinking that's not a good move for you, um, and you know it, it, it proved the case. I think had he stayed at Spurs. Um, he he might have got more of a, a, a Tottenham career. He was just on the brink, I think, when he when he decided to go. Yeah, he really, he, he talks very character. Yeah, very interesting. He, 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 oh, it's a it's a fascinating podcast. I'll send it through to you guys. But sure. um, Sim, uh, Peter, you any other questions? Uh, just going back to the manager thing. Uh, uh, to Pete, uh, what about the man in the raincoat? Did you have many dealings with him? <laughs> I did. Um, I wasn't a, a huge fan. Really, <laughs> let's, let's put it that way. He was the wrong fit. He was just the wrong fit. He was he was the wrong man at the wrong club. I remember the day he came. Actually, I remember doing an interview with him the day he came, and I asked him a quite and I asked him something like, "Spurs fans might be uh, a, a bit perturbed by your your you know your perceived style of play. What what would you say to Tottenham fans to 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 try and sort of reassure them?" And his answer was. Fans of football clubs are all the same. As long as you're winning, they don't care what the football's like. And I thought, not at this club, though. That's not, that's not true. Yeah. 
Um, and if you think that's the, that's you know what this club is like, then you're not going to last that long. Um, and he and he didn't. Uh, out of all the managers I've worked with over the years, he's the one that I I didn't really get on with. Juan de Ramos was there. You know, a chance that that could have worked out slightly better. I mean, he won a trophy. He won our last trophy. But... So, so did the man in the record. Yeah, he, true, he, true. He but it, what was your, what are your memories of Juan de Ramos in his short time? Well, the problem with him was he couldn't speak English, not a mm. word of it. I did a, I did a, they asked me to MC um, a sort of training session at White Hart Lane, which was open to the public. And they, they, I had to ask him a question, which they'd obviously prepared me for. Um, and I can't remember what the question was, but it, it, I, I, I delivered the question exactly as I'd been asked to, to deliver it. And the, the, the answer was just complete unintelligible. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was talking about fish at one point. <laughs> but it, was just, it was just, that was the problem. He, he couldn't communicate with the players and... His English wasn't good enough, and it was from from that that point alone. I mean, he might well have been a very good coach, and as you say, he brought us a trophy, so it wasn't all bad. But not being able to speak the language is, is a huge drawback, and I and I think that's why he he, he lasted um, as long as he did. He, he he wasn't around very often uh, for, for a very long time, and it, it was that just that that situation. He, he just couldn't speak the language. Yeah, it was well. a total. It was just a total. Um, yeah, it was just a total mess, wasn't it? Because I mean, you add to the that to the fact that he brought in, I, I remember about five or six players in the summer, and it's like you got a completely different group of players who have, you know, come from other leagues, and then you're putting them all together with, yeah, someone who can't really communicate. It's yeah. it, it did feel like a bit of a sort of recipe for disaster, and it definitely looked like you know Maybe. watching that team that there was not a lot of understanding between anyone. Maybe he's relying a lot on Gus Poyet, maybe for, for communication mm. at the time. But was he the assistant there at the time? He was assistant, yeah. yeah. Um, and Gus, Gus was another. I mean, Gus was had, had had a good vocabulary, but his accent was so strong, and I'm not sure that he would have been the ideal person for that job either. Um, <laughs> you couldn't always understand what he was saying. But yeah, it's it's it is this. It's like any other job, and particularly football management, it's all about communication. And if you can't speak the same language, that's going to be difficult. Um, Dan, Daniel, can I ask you a question about um, uh, players uh, as a commentator? Do you, do you ever get close to the players? Do you ever sort of form friendships with the players, which sort of, you know, uh, quite long, long-standing friendships? No. Um, I was never exposed to the players um, as such. I didn't have to do any interviews or anything else like that. So no is the answer to that. I did get... Fairly friendly with Martin Yol um, okay. through, connect, through connections outside of you know my sort of Spurs job. Um, you know, he, um, he used to his wife used to take my kids to the ground for a night game, um, and I, I remember watching the FA Cup final the week after Lasagna Gate. It was West Ham against Liverpool, and I was at a friend's house, and Martin was there as well, and we were watching the cup final together. And as Pete said about Glenn Hoddle, they see the game totally differently. He would say things like, right, in five minutes' time, the manager's going to do this. And bang on, five minutes' time, you could see the actual tactics changing exactly on the nail, what he said five minutes earlier. It's a totally different experience watching the game with someone like that. And when um, Stephen Gerrard got that last-minute equaliser, I mean, I'm not exactly small, but, Ma- but Martin, he picked me up and gave me the biggest bear hug I've ever had in my life because... 
the week after Lasagna Gate, as I said, he did not want West Ham to win anything. <laughs> and he was absolutely delighted that Liverpool got that equaliser and went on to win. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, he, he just—I I, just—I I always had a thing at the time where I always wanted him to be my friend. Yeah. Jolly Joe. <laughs> yeah, I could have imagined having a beer with him. Yeah. Thought, it, yeah. So, so Daniel, what was it like on that? I assume we commentated on that night where you know the news sort of went around the ground that he was going to be sacked, and it's you know it came out very very messily on that night. Do you, was that was that a particularly sad one? Um, well, I mean, yes, I was commentating that night, but yeah. in all honesty, I didn't know because you know I tend not to look at my phone. Obviously, uh, during the game, I can't right, so um, I didn't know anything about it until afterwards, and I, I firmly believe that it didn't happen the way mm. it was reported as happening. You know, the owners, in my opinion, wouldn't wouldn't do it like that. I know there was rumours circulating, yeah. but I, I genuinely believe it was a sort of mis, misinterpretation of the events, and I stand by that. I don't know that for a fact, but yeah. I just I just can't imagine that, uh, that it, it would have happened the way it was reported. And Daniel, funny you say that, because having watched the Amazon documentary, uh-huh. I, sort of get, I sort of get the feeling that Daniel Levy is not that type of person anyway. Just But before before the documentary, I sort of haven't really, you know, I possibly would have believed that. But I think after yeah. hearing that, I, I, don't, I go along with, with what you say, Daniel. Yeah, um, yeah I've, I've met Daniel Levy. I've, I've sat in meetings with him. He's a very private guy. He's, he's, he's nobody's fault. He's really super intelligent and he knows how to run a business and he, he knows how to communicate. He has to, right, with a business that size. And, and you know, again, people verify this. When I mean, I've been working there 20 years, the number of people that were working at the club 20 years ago compared to the number of people working at the club now mm. on a full-time basis, you can't compare it. It's, it's like a different organisation. And to be at, at the helm of that and to deliver the training ground, to deliver the stadium, you know, you, you've got to be a special sort of person. And, you know, he's done that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think one, one, one more question, guys. Peter or Cindy, you want to knock yeah. in one more question? Yeah, I was... Question to Pete. I, I hear that you're into your rock festivals. Uh, uh, is that right? Yeah. Uh, I go to Glastonbury every year. That's right. the only festival I go to now. I used to go to a lot when I was younger. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, now that I'm the age that I am, I can't, I can't do too many. Um, but yeah, Glastonbury is, is something that I love going to every year. You never did Nebworth, did you? Uh, ne- I've been to Nebworth, yeah, a few times. Well, uh, Nebworth, nineteen seventy nine. No, a bit, bit too early for you, perhaps. Uh, yeah. No, I didn't go. Yeah. Uh, who, who played? Probably one of the last ones I went to. Uh, Led Zeppelin. Um, I'd sat in a field all day, and um, some. What did it for me was some green flies, um, sort of crawled into my sandwiches, and uh, <laughs> I, and also I, I, I fell asleep during um, Stairway to Heaven, um, okay. and I woke up and I thought. This is why I'm here to hear this song, and I've fallen asleep. So <laughs> I prefer. That, that to me, sounds like a standard festival experience. <laughs> muddy, muddy fields. I prefer a comfortable seat these days. Yeah. Yeah, don't, don't we all? Um, Sim, any more? Or should we wrap up now? Uh, yeah, just yeah, just one one more from me, Daniel. I'm I'm really interested to just hear a bit about the Tottenham Tribute Trust. Like, I believe you're a a trustee of of that organisation. Uh, what, what, what's it? What's it about? So the tribute trust was set up by the club um, 
back in October 2002 when Tottenham played DC United. Yeah. Um, Paul Gaswin came back to play that night. Glenn Hoddle, who was manager, was meant to be playing, but he was injured. A load of the old players came back. And that night was all about raising money for old players. And the proceeds of that game went to set up the charity, the Tottenham Tribute Trust. And I was honoured to have been asked to be a trustee, and I've been involved in a trustee to this day, um, you know, 18 years later. So the players from yesteryear obviously didn't earn the sort of money that the players today earn. Yeah. And a number of them find themselves in different levels of difficulty, whether it's financial difficulty or other types of problems later in life. And this, this charity, the Tottenham Tribute Trust, is there to help them in their time of need you know, they, they've given the club so much, they've given supporters so much, and it's a way of giving something back to them. So we work very closely with the PFA. We do work very closely with the club as well, and as much as, even though we're independent, the club help us raise some money, um, you know, by giving us things that we can auction or by helping us with auction items so that, you know, Tottenham, the Tottenham family um, is there for the players when they need them later in life. And, um, you know, some of the people uh, we've helped wish to remain confidential. That's absolutely their right. Um, but when you see some of the double winning team uh, literally living in, you know, pretty squalid conditions, you, you just think that wouldn't happen today. And um, that's really rewarding. And, um, to, you know, to get to meet to uh, meet and talk to some of these guys, it's, um, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking seeing them later in life and the difficulties that they're enduring. So to give something back for me is very rewarding personally, and it's a great organisation. Uh, TottenhamTT.org is the website address. I mean, as you just said, it's that game actually raised the funds to to kickstart the whole yeah. thing. That's that's incredible. Absolutely, and to complete the circle, you spoke about the finale. If you remember on the match day shirts um, at the finale, the, the Tottenham Tribute Trust logo was underneath the cockerel. So, you know, look back to that game, any pictures of it, you, you'll see. And we were all over the programme that day as well, so it really did go full circle. And, um, yeah, it's yeah, it, it's, it's a great organisation. I'm really proud to be a trustee. Fantastic. Great work. That sounds wonderful. Really, really well. I'm going to do a little bit of research on that, I think, uh, Daniel. Um, but, guys, thanks so much. It's been absolutely fascinating having you guys on. On real... Uh, throw back to my U for UP and obviously and Daniel as well like you know listen to many commentaries of yours so uh, really 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 thank you um, uh, Peter um, Sim it's been brilliant brilliant having you uh, back again for this special Casper thank you for being here yeah. thank you for having me uh, keep safe everyone thank you Daniel thank you Pete keep in touch and we'll send you through um, as the Slade special hopefully you'll enjoy that absolutely thanks for having us it's, 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 it's been a joy. Thanks very much. Um, keep in touch, guys, and keep safe, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and don't forget to spread the word on why you won.